Welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing Podcast with your host, Ty DeGrange. Get a guided tour of the world of growth, performance marketing, customer acquisition, paid media, and affiliate marketing. We talk with industry experts and discuss experiments and their learnings in growth, marketing, and life. Time to nerd out, check your biases at the door, and have some fun talking about data-driven growth and lessons learned. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Always Be Testing podcast. I am your host, Ty DeGrange, and I am thrilled to have today Adam Weiss. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Ty. Heck yeah, man. Adam is the founder of Weiss Digital Consulting. He is definitely an affiliate marketing veteran. What have you been around the space? What, 20 years at least? Not to make you feel old. Yeah, I think veteran is. I was going to say veteran is just another <laughs> word for old. <laughs> I mean, we're kind of both in that category. I think you've been at a little bit longer than I have, but we're we're up there. Maybe, but you look a lot younger. <laughs> Probably are a lot younger. Maybe not for long if I keep at it. <laughs> so Adam is, is an amazing resource. He has been consulting with publishers, partners, affiliates for quite a long time. He's uh, launched his own consulting firm, Weiss Digital Consulting. Prior to that, he was, you were at Rakuten for what, 15 years-ish? A little over 14. And and I think a lot of affiliates seek him out to say, like, how do I find partnerships? How do I make sense of the channel? How do I monetize? And similarly, you, you do an amazing recap of the affiliate industry in your newsletter. You develop the uh, really awesome partner landscape which we've talked about and, and published similar. And I think yours is kind of the, one of the more comprehensive publisher partner affiliate landscape visuals I've seen out there. So super excited to dive in with you today. Appreciate it. I'm excited too. Thanks, Ty. Heck yeah. So, you know, I have to start out, you you kind of provided a bit of a hot take. We did a conversation with some of our teammates recently, and um, you mentioned that uh, uh, Hagar Van Halen is preferred over... <laughs> David Lee Roth, Van Halen. Can you, I want to preface it with, Oh man, my first concert ever was Van Halen. And I'm slightly embarrassed to share that I have a ringtone on my phone, which is always on silent, of course, but occasionally it sneaks through and people will hear it in an office environment or outside. And it's David Lee Roth, Van Halen, jump. That's okay. It's a true story. How bad is that on a scale of one to 10? Well, I didn't know there were still ringtones beyond just what <laughs> I mean, do you have like a Nokia from the early two thousands? Is that Snickers bar, you know, Nokia it keeps me uh <laughs> off of uh social media even though even though that's what we work in. Just kidding, they don't have a Nokia. But well help us understand this hot take because uh inquiring Minds want to know. Well, let's give some context for your audience was I met the team and I thought that when you're given a you know a presentation or an overview, you got to say something controversial. And that was my controversial statement, but I stand by it. I don't dislike DLR. As a matter of fact, I, I love them. I love the early Van Halen stuff, but maybe just, you know, for me, my formative years of, of rock and roll, just that intro riff to... 5150. I'm not going to sing on your podcast, but if you if you know, you know. We won't say no to it if you want to 
Well, I don't want you to lose subscribers. <laughs> but that run, you know, the 5150 and OU812 and for unlawful carnal knowledge, those three in a row, that was epic. And that was yeah. me growing up. Again, my formative years Love it. of rock and roll. And it just it spoke to me. And to this day, if you were to ask me to throw on a Van Halen album, I would, I would put on 5150. And I want to be clear. I love one and two and 1984 and Diver Den and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But my go-to is, is the Hagar Van Halen. That's just the two I am. Sorry. What's your favorite jam off 5150 if you had to pick one? Oh, man. I actually like 5150, the last song on the album. Do you listen to a song, to an album all the way through, like old school style, or do you go into the song like Spotify style and just say, hey, I've got my playlist? That's a great question. We can make this podcast just about music. I'm happy to. I have a lot of thoughts on this. I have become more of a Spotify person, which is play me songs like Van Halen, and then you get a playlist. And a lot of times it introduces you to new music, which is great. Hard to beat. I think the art of listening to an album, if that is an art, has sort of disappeared. And it's sort of a shame. So I do try to listen to albums. I have a really good uh, friend who I used to work with who always listens to the record. And when I see him post it on Instagram or something, it inspires me. And... We're sort of missing that. I, I think a lot about Dark Side of the Moon and the Joshua Tree and some albums that, in my opinion, have to be listened to end to end. There's a ton of them out there. And email me or whatever, text me. I'd love to hear what people think. That's an important. Wouldn't that be a great list? Like albums that need to be played through. It's probably, it's, it's subjective, of course, but I think that's what makes it fun is to. Yeah talk about it, think about it like that. Dark Side of the Moon to me is the, that is the penultimate end to end. You can't pick one song. Love it. Very cool. So a little bit of a segue. We've kind of talked music. Maybe we'll weave some music in later or throughout, but we should. People come to you for affiliate. You're clearly one of the leaders in the space. You're, you're kind of exec summary newsletter is I think a awesome curation and, and summation of a lot of things that are happening and updates and news and lets people make sense of it. How did you get into it in the first place? Into affiliate or providing that overview? Affiliate. Affiliate. I got a job at Lunchshare. It was that simple. I had worked at 24-7 Media. I worked at About.com prior to that. And I landed at Lunchshare on the publisher side of the business. Took a real interest. And the rest was history. It took off. Really loved the business, loved the publishers, loved the people I work with, worked with. And it was a, I feel like my sort of career there paralleled the evolution of the affiliate space as well, because it was maturing over that time as well. That's awesome. Was there certain aspects of the people or the work or the day to day that kind of was an aha moment for you that got you really kind of, uh, excited about being involved in it? Like, what was it in particular about it that like really resonates for you now and maybe resonated for you then? 
It's a good question. I think there was an entrepreneurial spirit that I saw on the publisher side of the business because that's where I started. I think I saw a lot of innovation happening. I remember learning about a business called You Promise, which some people might remember it still exists, and the ability to shop and save money towards college. And at the time I had, I think, yeah, my, I didn't even have my first kid when I started there, but in that time frame, realizing the power of being able to shop online and put money towards college savings, and then seeing these other interesting models that were being developed, helping find discounts and savings and introduction to products. And the innovation I thought was interesting and rapid. And I thought there was a lot of change happening from the e-commerce perspective that was being driven by the publishers in the space. And I took it upon myself to really learn who are the publishers in my neighborhood and <laughs> what do they do? Pretty good neighborhood. Yeah. Where, where were their offices? What did they do? How many people worked for them? Because you were dealing on the, on the other side of the business with major brands and retailers who everyone knows for all intents and purposes. On the publisher side, we were still learning who is this publisher, that publisher, what are they doing? How many people work there? Have they raised money? All these other kind of storylines were being yeah. developed. So I took a real interest in, in understanding that. That's awesome. And I think it kind of resonates with me heavily because I had a similar experience when I entered the space. And I feel like people don't always realize how much affiliates are doing truly innovative things, how entrepreneurial they are, how I, I view them as like the currency of the space. And I think that you're you're really focused on that side of the ecosystem. Obviously, you know, we are as an agency as well as we're courting these great partners to promote great brands and advertisers, but you're really working directly with them. And I think that that's compelling and super interesting. And for the advertisers that you work with, it should be interesting to them as well. That's why they're signed up with you with a network at the end of the day is for support, finding distribution, innovative distribution distribution that's going to provide new customers, that's going to drive higher ticket sizes, that's going to drive a particular action that meets their goals. And the publishers are thinking about that too. They should be. And I think that's what, what makes it interesting. And I would also say not all of them win. Not all of them have the right answer, the right model, the right technology, but the industry can compound on what we learn from what works and what hasn't worked as well. And it's important to know what publishers are doing because totally. that is how things are going to grow from that, from those, those kind of, those ideas. I think to build on that wrap, maybe wrap up that thought, the advertisers that are so are the ones that are winning are the ones that are either working with a partner to unlock it or even better collaborate with a partner, an agency and network to be super interested in how those partners operate and hop on calls and to work through things to kind of feed that innovation. Because if you think if you can feed that innovation as an advertiser and listen and hear feedback and learn from the innovative cutting edge affiliates and partners, you're going to find ways to unlock their value even further and help them and tee them up with content, rewards, commissions, bonuses, incentives, all the fun things that fuel the system. So 
It's super interesting. Couldn't agree more. What about things that folks get wrong? You know, we talked a little bit about like some pseudo best practices a little bit here and what can work well, but like, what are some, maybe some misconceptions of affiliate marketing that you've seen or how often do these come up? Or I'm curious to learn more about your perspective and and working with with publishers and affiliates and in the industry in general. I think it's the inverse of what you just said is what they could get wrong. One size does not fit all. Every advertiser is different. Every publisher is different. We are a partnership platform. We want to brand ourselves as partnerships. Partnerships are never one size fits all. So taking the the time to understand both sides, goals and objectives, what's the give and the get in the partnership is critical to establish a partnership and then to optimize it as well over time. It requires some strategic planning and an assessment of your partners and potential partners. So in my opinion, if you're not doing that, that's where there's the potential to fall down, to become too concentrated in the top part of your portfolio, if you will, and miss out on innovation. Even if not today, down the road, you might not think someone is a good partner for you today. That's fine. But if the risk is low to integrate now, you never know what's going to happen down the road. There's, I feel like I've seen instances of, we don't want to work with this particular publisher. And then the publisher gets big and there's more friction essentially to partner with them. Then, you know, you have to deal with prioritization and all that when you could have just partnered with them early on, built a relationship, started to see little bits of what works and what doesn't work and now be at a point of optimization. But now you're at a point of fighting just to get through the door. It's such a great call out. People don't always realize that these things change quickly. There's ebbs and flows and getting in on that emerging channel is really a first mover advantage is something people should consider when they can, as long as there's got some incentive alignment and something set up well at the beginning. Totally agree. Speaking of that, good segue into when you get dropped into an engagement, when you're consulting for an affiliate or publisher or partner, how do you approach that? What are some things you look at to help them with partnering with great brands, with monetizing their audience and their community and their site? How do you kind of look at that and get started and approach it? It's hard because it's a unique use case for each potential client, every pub, like I just said, every publisher is different. So it's not one size fits all. So for me, the approach is really understanding their business, doing some discovery, looking where they're at in their life cycle of their business. Cause I think that matters. Are you just starting? Are you at a mature stage? Are you trying to get over a hump to get to maturity and where are they making investments? What are some key challenges that they're facing? What are the problems they're trying to solve? So I look at it more as how can I understand your business, come in as an extension of your team to solve a particular problem or problems over time and evolve with the business and make sure that 
even the problem I'm trying to solve, which a lot of times is around their strategy for affiliate monetization and building partnerships, like you said, there's other components. I could do all that. We could do it really well. But let's say if the product itself is not good, or if you're a content site and you're not generating content or traffic for that matter, all those things have to play together to be successful. You can't do one of them really well and be successful. So I want to make sure that if you're going to have me come in and help the business in one facet of it, the other ones are moving in lockstep as well. That's sort of the long-winded answer, but the short answer is it'll depend on what the needs are of the business, but you really need to understand what the problem is they're trying to solve and if it's something I could help with. And then I always, I love getting under the hood and, and getting things working and moving. That's great. And are you, do you find yourself kind of playing like a fixer role? Do you find yourself kind of doing a lot more of the partner, partner approach and how to set up the right types of partnerships and match make for, for revenue purposes? Are you helping them get from a certain level to another level? Like kind of curious to understand what you're seeing most often and maybe what you want to get to or, or think would be optimal. I'm just I'm curious to learn more about what you're kind of seeing most frequently in these types of engagements where you're helping these types of partners and affiliates. If this was multiple choice, my answer would be all the above. There's a lot of strategic work that I get to do with publishers entering the market who want to accelerate their knowledge of the space and how to navigate the landscape. In some cases, it's very hands-on. In some cases, it's more of like a coach, if you will. But then, yes, there's partnership development that happens as well. I try to do one before the other or assess where a publisher is at to see if they're ready for one versus the other. I always tell publishers, you only got so many shots at this and you got to make sure that you're in a good strategic position. And it doesn't mean you have to wait till everything is perfect. I'm certainly not suggesting that, but you only have, have so many shots at this. So let's make sure that we have everything lined up correctly. And to what we were talking about earlier, goals and objectives are aligned. We understand what the brands or the, the advertisers are trying to do as well. We understand the competitive landscape and how, as a publisher, we differentiate. Is the brand going to be like, oh, is this just like X? Well, perhaps in some cases, but in other cases, these are the five things that differentiate us or that we can do for you or that are even on our roadmap. So just making sure that all of those things are lined up becomes really, really important. So again, it's going to depend where they're at in the life cycle, but everything I do can be at the very strategic level, helping you enter the market, assessing where the business can go in the market, to your point, to partnership development and understanding where there's opportunities to optimize a brand that you're working with, or again, even adding new partners into the mix as well. You kind of touched on, are they ready when they're ready? And that kind of turning on the, like the faucet, if you will, of partner development, how do you like to kind of define ready for partner development? And and obviously that comes in many flavors, like you said, but how do you think about that? Is there something unique from a product perspective? Is there existing traffic already that you're monetizing? But relative to the traffic, there's a a gut sense that we could do more. Have I seen 
broadly speaking, from a benchmarking perspective, opportunities like this that there has been success that we potentially can tap into. So it's it, it varies. Do you have a newsletter that's out there working? Do you have a team dedicated to this right now? Because again, from a partnership development perspective, there's some real low-hanging fruit and easy ways to partner up with people through the channel. The scale of the channel is what's beautiful. But if we're trying to get strategic or get additional budget or investment, we got to be able to manage that as well. So I look at a bunch of different things to make sure that we're in a, a good place and at least have some of those things ready to roll. When you kind of look at all the consulting engagements you've done with Weiss Consulting and the types of partners that have come to you and some of the results you've helped them with and the problems you've solved for them, what makes your eyes light up in terms of the characteristics of a, of a partner that's really needing help from you and maybe alluding to like the areas that you really want to nail in the future for what you're doing? I'm curious to know maybe some of those commonalities, common threads between partners that are really needing certain things. Obviously, again, it comes in many sites, you know, shapes and sizes, but what kind of gets you the most excited and pumped to work on a, a partner? Well, a lot of times it's, of course, the business itself, what it's doing, the problem it's solving. 100%. I love when someone comes to me and what they're doing is solving a real world problem that I have when it comes to, and then use the term problem loosely when it comes to shopping online, but a real world, a real world challenge. A painkiller rather than a vitamin, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. And is this something that I've thought, wow, this would make my life a little bit easier when it comes to e-commerce, shopping online, or even shopping in store. So I think that's always interesting. The people that you get to work with at these organizations, and are they potential partners who want to immerse themselves in a solution, who want to take a strategic approach versus throw it all against the wall? And again, I'm all for testing and learning, but I want to make sure that we're taking sort of some some logical steps to make sure that we get to the right solution. Because if you're just looking to jump to the finish line, then I don't know, you know, you're going to be successful in the long term. And you're willing to make changes. You're willing to learn from those changes. You're willing to understand the time and the investment that it takes to do so. And then most importantly, what I think is a great approach and clients who are successful is when we do bring things to a brand, here's something we've developed as a publisher that we want you to invest in. And they say, no, and here's why. Put that back into the cycle of learning. These brands or partners or advertisers are not interested. So let's maybe not go back to the drawing board, but optimize ourselves in terms of what our offering is to get to that end goal that ultimately is going to drive a new partnership increased revenue or something of the sort. Love it. When a partner is approaching you and you're kind of, they're trying to look for growth or trying to look for eyeballs and distribution, I know that's a little different than the monetization side and call it the acquisition side, if you will, for an affiliate. What are their options in front of them at a macro level just to educate the audience? And, and I, while you're not necessarily pulling the levers on all of those, can you share more about that? Can you clarify in terms of what I offer or look at for the publisher? Yeah, less about like what you specifically offer, but more how does affiliate grow? How does an affiliate or a publisher think about distribution and audience growth if they're 
small, medium, large. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, knowing some of it is involved in your scope of work, some of it is not, and I'm curious to learn more. It's like we talked about earlier. There's there's multiple facets at play here. It starts with having a great product, whatever that might be. You're a coupon site, you're producing content, you're a browser extension, you're some type of post-checkout optimization tool, you're whatever. So having that product is important. And then there's traffic. How are we thinking about getting traffic? Paid, organic, there's various paid channels, which I think you know something about, correct? You have a newsletter. Are there other things that you're doing to grow and diversify traffic? And then there's the partnership piece, which is where monetization comes in. Do you have the right infrastructure for that? The operational setup, do you know who you're dealing with? Do you know, are we getting the best rates? Do we have the right partners? Are we, are we thinking about this strategically? And then the last piece, which sort of blends in with the traffic generation component is the brand of the publisher themselves. Are they building a brand? Are they creating some stickiness with the user? Solving a problem for the user where they create some stickiness and tell their friends, hey, install Honey or Rakuten or, or Cap One Shopping or whatever it is. Um, hey, I got a great deal at this site. You should check out this site. I learned about this pair of, of running shoes or I just bought a, a, a bike rack for the back of my car and I had no idea what to purchase. So what do I do? I go to an affiliate site you know, to read the reviews. Um, and I'm ashamed to say, I don't even remember specifically because I read like a whole bunch of them. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, creating that brand is important, which I guess is, is counter to what I just said. But nonetheless, it's, it's something I think will be more and more important for brands, uh, for publishers as, uh, as they continue to evolve. That's awesome. Where, where are you biking these days? Where I live, there's an old rail line that they paved over. So it's pretty flat. It's called the North County Trailway, and there's a South County Trailway, and it basically runs from the Bronx all the way up through Westchester County, up to Putnam County. It's pretty awesome, actually. It goes across a reservoir, and it's really nice. Sounds amazing. It is. It is. I'd like to check this out one day. Anyone's in the area and they want to go for a bike ride, I'm down. There you go. Offer has been presented (laughs) to the audience, so take Adam up on it. I'm curious about a lot of things. I want to talk about when we did our kind of lunch and learn topics and dove in with the team and talked about a lot of the observations you've had in this space. We talked a little bit about trends. There's quite a few trends you've observed. Maybe can you share maybe a, maybe some of the best of from those trends that you're observing and share with the with the audience a bit more about what you're seeing in the space, what's happening in digital and performance marketing, what's happening with these partners what's happening in affiliate marketing that's a, it's a key trend for you? There's always a lot happening, which is great. And who knows, by the time you publish this, there might be, be new stuff that, that pops up. I'm sure it will. Which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Trends, I think we are continuing to see growth and innovation on the publisher side, like we've been talking about. I think there is a focus on traffic like we've been talking about and what changes are happening. Google is constantly changing their algorithm. There's a lot of artificial intelligence now that is sort of, there's questions around what's going to happen with that. 
I think we're seeing more and more influencer and affiliate convergence. And I think that is still in the evolutionary phase. There are a ton of different influencer businesses out there, a lot that are great, have great partnerships, and they're more and more starting to integrate from an affiliate perspective. And the networks and agencies themselves are starting to either acquire or form direct partnerships as well. I'm curious to see how that shakes out in the the mid to long term and how partnerships are presented given you have an in-house partner and looking at other external partners as well. So I think those are some of the immediate things that come to mind. And from a trend, I would go back to what I was just talking about, brand building. I think that's that's going to continue to be really important for publishers as they grow. And the traffic sourcing question becomes more and more, there's more concern perhaps around the inventory on Google that's available to them. So from a brand perspective, it's become even more important for publishers to build that brand to create stickiness from a traffic perspective. Well, you're not an SEO expert per se. You know, what are some of the things you're seeing, you know, brands try to make sense of as Google, you know, clearly is taking up a larger piece of real estate of the search engine results page and, and kind of more of those clicks. It kind of relates to what we talked about with chat GPT and the AI with kind of this crazy <laughs> feels complex daisy chain of like when is the creator compensated when you have like multi layers of tech curating their content maybe repurposing their content to kind of like feed into the users need to ask questions and get value so like have you seen what is like the macro strategy for a partner that's like well i'm getting hit from an SEO perspective because of maybe, I don't know, competitors are generating more content I'm not fast enough or Google's taking up more of the SERP or uh, I'm kind of listing out some macro challenges maybe that you see that I'm hearing you share. What are some like high level ways that you might approach that or say like to a partner, hey, this is how partners are addressing it. How How are they counteracting that? I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I would probably tell them to call you in terms of figuring out (laughs) alternate traffic sources. I think I'd assume some Mm -hmm. folks are getting involved in more paid sources. That makes sense. Investigating channels that they haven't been acquiring customers from before. I think focusing on newsletters is, is a good approach as well. I personally, you know, enjoy reading a lot of the affiliate newsletters and, you know, I, I sort of look at it from an inside baseball perspective too, but you know, how they're structured and the colors of their click here buttons and stuff mm-hmm. like that to see what's working. But I think newsletters is a good source. So it's, it's essentially alternate traffic streams that they're going to need to consider. Yeah. Trying to own kind of own pieces of that customer relationship with, with a lot of these things changing with privacy. It's, it's the email and, SMS and other other means of relationship, customer relationship management, new and existing is, is really exploding and needed. So I think that that's definitely resonates with me and the team. SMS is another another good example as well. Yeah, for sure. Maybe kind of coming into the experiment thought theme of always be testing. What are some things that kind of struck you in terms of like 
learnings or observations or, oh, wow, I didn't expect that to happen in in maybe your Rakuten experience, maybe some of the consulting experience you've had. Always love to like talk through learnings and don't necessarily have to name specific clients, but would love to hear what are some maybe those aha moments you've had over the years of like, wow, that was surprising or that was really instrumental for me as a practitioner. What, What are your any learnings that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, I think it's fairly simple to say taking the time to do the discovery makes things a lot easier down the road in terms of different testing scenarios. It's not that you're just looking to sell a newsletter placement or get an increased commission from an affiliate perspective. It's about what your partner brands are looking for as well that's going to help drive your strategy to what I was talking about earlier. It's about the partner's attribution logic, their thoughts on partners in their program already, what they're looking for, their marketing calendar. I think asking the right questions in advance goes such a long way. And I know I'm not giving you a specific, I did X and it resulted in Y. There's certainly tons of examples of that, but each of these different scenarios, I think the macro strategic approach helps for longer term success and partnership. And that's really what I've picked up over the years. And like I said earlier, taking a no and turning it into a revision of a strategy can really make you successful. Yeah. I'd say those are those are some kind of high level. I love it. Yeah. Do you think that people maybe don't ask enough questions generally? in this, in the industry. And and I'd like to hear more about that. I think people ask questions. I think it's asking the right questions to achieve a particular goal between two partners. Again, if we're a partnership business, it's it's a two-way street. So we got to ask the right questions. And I think understanding what it is your advertiser partners are looking to do or potential partners are looking to do is really important. So like I was just saying, who are the partners in your program today? Where's the lion's share of it coming from? Are you looking to diversify? What are you looking for? Those types of things. Um, and, and there's a laundry list that I usually go through. But those types of things, I think, reveal where the opportunities are and help find gaps in the market and ultimately success for, for a publisher and an advertiser. Yeah. And you talked about kind of, kind of taking that strategic approach uh, in a number of you know, cases that you get presented with, what do you think people maybe get wrong about strategy or maybe miss upon on the strategy piece? Good question. I feel like it's, it's very similar to what I've been saying. I think having that bird's eye view of the business is important and gives you a better opportunity to create a solid foundation for the longer term. So I think to be more specific, when opportunities present themselves, they're not always a fit. That's okay because they're out there in the industry and your business is not happening just today. <laughs> you want it to, mm-hmm. to expand and grow over time. Mm-hmm. So I think you need to have a 360 degree view of what's happening, all the cool stuff in our space, the broader e-commerce space. We talk about affiliate being on the cutting edge and even those things that don't apply today help us formulate that strategy for the longer term. Also, just the basics of understanding the market size, the competitive landscape, 
levers that potentially can be pulled that maybe you're not pulling today. All of that sort of comes together to help build an approach that will ultimately lead to a solid partnership and help and hence solid monetization as well. That's really interesting. And, you know, hey, you got a chance to kind of go through the ranks at Rakuten. You spent a lot of time there. You know, I think you were certainly a leader within that organization over time. And and can you share maybe more, like from a leadership perspective in in performance marketing and affiliate marketing specifically, what do you think kind of separates those that are more successful than those that maybe struggle or have more challenge in, in more leadership roles, managing folks, being an influential part of a larger organization. And now obviously you're seen as a leader consulting and in, impacting the, the industry, but from like the leadership side of it, how do you kind of look at those learnings and, and, and maybe what separates those that are stronger from those that are having, that are more challenged? So when I think about my time at Rakuten, it comes down to being able to balance the strategic and the tactical. And what I mean by that is as you move up the ladder, you need to focus on more strategic things. But if you completely remove yourself from the day to day, you lose touch. And it doesn't have to be in the weeds pulling levers for a program, but client QBRs, interactions with clients are critical. I loved the leadership team I worked with during my time at Rakuten because pretty much everyone from client services to tech to marketing all grew up in the business. They worked on the ground floor and all had this really solid tie to the business. And even as we were later required to be more strategic in our thinking, we knew how the day-to-day worked. And we had a gut sense for strategic ideas and opportunities that had legs and ones that might have sounded cool and maybe even the math worked, but we just knew clients wouldn't go for it because we sat in those meetings. We knew what the client was looking for. If that ties together everything I've been, I've been saying you know, so far. So we really, it made a big difference in my opinion as to why that team was so successful and such a great team that that tie of the the tactical to the strategic. And again, you get more strategic, the more senior you get. But I feel to be successful at that leadership level, don't lose sight of sitting in a client meeting. If if you're not, I would just say, try to be in a set set a goal for yourself to be in a one client meeting a week, one a day, whatever it is, whatever is appropriate to stay connected to what's really happening in the business. Yeah, I think that's such an awesome call out. You look at all these successful consumer brands and, and software companies. I mean, from Facebook to Glossier, and there's the list is you know Amazon. I mean, everyone is the customer obsession concept is so talked about, published, real, and I think it's still. I think a lot of people are not doing it enough, and you just kind of called out the importance of it, and it's like having that voice of the customer really present top of mind backed by some level of the quantitative and the qualitative i think it's just so such a great reminder and so uh what, a, what an awesome point yeah and i think to one of your earlier questions talking about earlier even in my career i felt like it was important even then and now to sit in the room with publishers and understand who they were and what they were doing getting on airplanes 
going to different places, sitting in their office, seeing the environments they worked in, the people they worked with that were beyond just the people that you were talking to on the partnership side from a tech and product and engineering standpoint, it goes a long way. And I think for me, at least, that was sort of rooted in the foundation of, I guess, who I am as someone in the affiliate marketing industry, really understanding their businesses from, from top to bottom. And, and feeling like you're you're ingrained in it goes a long way. It's not just a it. it's not just a line item on a report. You know, you look at a report as an advertiser, and you see fifty, a hundred, whatever it is, publishers, and they just look. It looks transactional. No pun intended. I know there are transactions in there, but you really get to understand who each of these are, and it makes you think a little bit deeper about them and, and what you potentially be doing with them. I love that. Yeah, the depth of understanding each partner. And then your entire partner ecosystem or your program can be, there's a 3D chess element to, I think, understanding each of them in a way that's that's a little bit more uh, best in class to your point. So completely, this has been amazing, Adam. You've, you've kind of uh, just dropped some awesome knowledge on affiliate marketing, your journey, your learnings, who you are. Speaking of that, just to, just to share, what are some things that maybe the uh, affiliate community doesn't know about you? You shared some good zingers to kind of kick it off, but... Maybe wrap up with a couple that uh, that maybe you want to share to folks that, that might not know about you. Well, I feel like they know a lot now, given our conversation <laughs> about music. I think okay. that probably tells a lot about me. Are you going to be uh, putting the record player on here anytime soon? Or are you kind of more shifted over to the full digital experience in music? I'm fully digital. I love, i got my Sonos behind me with a few throughout the house. It's a beautiful device. It's on my wish list. I'll, I'll say that. They're great. They make it super easy. If you're going to get one, use an affiliate link, of course. <laughs> I'll need it. They're not, not cheap. But no, I'm always, I've always got music on. I feel like it's important. I always have music on. I feel like it's important for the kids. They hate my music, of course. Well, my daughter's better about it than my, my son, but I want them to be exposed to everything that, that I listen to. Because now I, I look back, and I remember my mom playing the Beatles and the Beach Boys and Neil Diamond. And when I was young, I was like, oh, but now <laughs> I love listening to that stuff. So music is a, is a big part um, of, of me throughout the day, you know, working or, or otherwise. When you're working, you, you want to get something done, but you still want to enjoy some good music. What's some go-tos that you, that you reach for? Oh, we're going deep. I like this. Like we were talking about earlier, I do a lot of like the Spotify playlists and it varies. I'll be honest. I I can listen to everything from classic rock, which I love, to you know, I was in college in the nineties and like nineties rap and hip hop was was big for me back then, big influence from a lot of my roommates and really, really love listening to that. To more modern day stuff, I love a, there's a I love the War on Drugs and bands like that. But also, I listen to like Wham and '80s rock, and I love Def Leppard and I, you name it, man. I it depends on my mood at the end or whatever mood I want to be in, and uh, I'm sort of all over the place. So, like I was even saying, you know, the Beach Boys or the Beatles or I love it. Yeah, what about you? I go in waves. I'm similar to you in a lot of that, the diversity and the eclecticness and the 80s and 90s influence for me in particular. I will have waves and you know, 
morning motivation or, you know, kind of get, get going. And I will definitely reach for the nineties hip hop. Uh, Mike, our CEO and good friend uh, recommended Nate dog radio to your point of letting the artist kind of go and then let the algorithm pick. And it's phenomenal on Spotify. It's, it's really, really good. And I think it reminds you of how amazing his ability is in terms of like baseline and tracks and, and creating some hip hop uh, beats with collaborations with a number of artists, which are just off the charts, no pun intended and, um, and quite good. Yeah. And then, yeah, sometimes I'll do kind of the, the deep focus stuff via YouTube or Spotify to kind of like zone out and just crank out work. But those are, those have been some go-tos, but uh, I'll reach for all kinds of stuff across the, the genre. Yeah. I love the genres. It's fun. I love that, you know, Spotify helps surface new stuff as well, which is good. I've been using that Spotify DJ, which is their AI that pulls back stuff that you've listened to in the past or makes recommendations. Um, I've been, so I've been, if there's one element of AI, I guess I've sort of incorporated into my life. It's that, that Spotify DJ. And then, um, you know, like I was saying with the kids, it's interesting because my son is into to rap and hip hop. So I try to let him hear what I listened to when I was growing up and he digs it. So there's a connection there. And that's cool. My daughter got into like ABBA and that type of stuff, which I dig also. Wow. So it's nice to sort of, I think music kind of creates a connection across the, across the ages. And I, I love it. That's an amazing, uh, amazing way to say it. Amazing wrap up. Adam, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, man. Look forward to more great conversation. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Todd. This is great. Appreciate it. You bet. You bet.